you can have metaprogramming that's not related actually to objects, you know? So sneaky, sneaky. Date, July 2015, episode 132 with Jose Mota, Ruby developer and screencaster at Tuts Plus. In this episode, we'll talk about metaprogramming as a concept, when to use it and when to stay away from it, as well as about object and message hierarchy in Ruby. This episode is sponsored by the lovely people at Code School and Media Temple. I think metaprogramming has this stink of being complicated, hard to understand, and super advanced. The word meta plays a role in that, I guess. How would you pitch metaprogramming to a five-year-old kid? Or seven-year-old kid, I don't care. Well, metaprogramming, or programming for that matter, in general, is really hard to tell or to pitch to any kid. If I was actually trying to think about this uh, the other day, uh, because I was uh, kind of messing around with metaprogramming in a project, and um, I didn't really think that metaprogramming was a monster of its own. Metaprogramming is just an expansion of a programming language. Basically, it gives you tools that operate on your tool that's already the language. So if I would have to tell anyone, whether a five-year-old or a seven-year-old kid or even an adult, I would say that metaprogramming is basically an expansion of the language. And why do we metaprogram? When is it necessary? When is it useful? Metaprogramming is useful always, I guess. Because of this approach of mine of considering metaprogramming as an expansion to the language, it basically empowers you to do some things that you wouldn't be able to do or would have a harder time to if you didn't have metaprogramming. So the fact that metaprogramming is considered a necessity, I think that it is just essential. If a language doesn't have metaprogramming capabilities, I really don't think that language is actually that easier to learn or to manipulate. So there are other languages in that in other times didn't have metaprogramming capabilities. I can recall Java, for example. And from later versions up until a couple of years ago, I guess, metaprogramming has been introduced in Java in one way or another with one or other construct that I really can't recall out right now. But I have people that know Java and they know that they have these new constructs. And that's basically metaprogramming because the language has evolved and expanded in such a way that you can basically manipulate your own code to do other code. So basically to do another behavior. That's my take on the necessity of metaprogramming. And when should we stay away from it? We should stay away from it as best as possible or as frequent as possible. But the fact that you take metaprogramming in a different approach, in a more holistic approach, rather than facing it as the monster as many people portray it, it becomes less and less complicated to accept it. Metaprogramming can be really dangerous, but it can also be a tremendous asset. So as long as developers know the features of metaprogramming, and I come with the background of uh, as a Ruby developer, metaprogramming is just another asset. If I know how to use that asset in order to fulfill my goals in the best way possible, like still considering clean code techniques, good patterns, good design techniques, good theory principles, and making sure that the code is still readable and understandable, then I won't have as much trouble. And the main return on the investment on using metaprogramming is to make sure that it has 
the least amount of paths possible. There's this huge challenge, for example, to use an if statement. An if statement is something that is sometimes even worse as using metaprogramming. Because with an if statement, you have basically two ways in which your code will be, in which your outcome will be. An if statement always provides two different ways of your code to return. That's considered even more dangerous than using metaprogramming. Because it um, is not following tell, don't ask? Something like that. Basically, metaprogramming doesn't give you two possible ways, at least not fundamentally. Metaprogramming should be, again, an expansion of one's of a specific programming language. And if metaprogramming by principle doesn't give you two different ways, two different outcomes, then it's better than having a construct that gives you the two possible outcomes, such as an if statement. Hey, Between Screen listeners, this is John Friscus from Code School here to say hello. If you're not familiar with us, CodeSchool is an online learning destination for existing and aspiring developers that teaches through entertaining content. With experienced instructors and high-quality courses, over a million people have trusted CodeSchool to teach the most popular development languages by turning learning into a game-like experience. So check us out at CodeSchool.com and start learning by doing. For years, Minda Temple Script Service has been the web hosting choice of more designers, developers, and creative professionals than any other platform. A single grid account can host anything from your portfolio site to 100 different client projects. And the grid is ready for anything. Hundreds of servers work together in the cloud to keep your sites online, even if you suddenly hit the front page of Reddit. Also check out their new WordPress hosting product, as well as their launching of Google Apps for Work. Virtual private server solutions are also available with their DV and DV developer hosting plans. You can use the promo code SCREEN25 for 25% off web hosting. Go to mediatemple.net and enter your promo code upon sign-up. Thanks for listening. What are the important bits of object hierarchy and message hierarchy in Ruby for better understanding metaprogramming? It is very important to understand the idea of an object-oriented language. Most people think that it's all about having classes and object instantiations and methods that either retrieve some content or do something. In Ruby, for example, that notion is a little diluted. So whether you're trying to access an instance variable or you're trying to do something, basically Ruby makes it like it's the same thing. If you have a specific example of trying to access an instance variable that's exposed to the outside world, so to the system, you can actually create an adder reader method that exposes the content of that instance variable. However, you're still calling a method. And because of that, the idea of having methods and instance variables that are made public is really diluted because they look just the same. That idea behind message passing and message calling is very important to understand because once you do that, you will be able to understand that a class should not always encapsulate or expose certain pieces of information to the outside. And thus, you create real objects that have meaningful methods and not unlike many people that I know of, including myself in the past, I thought of classes as placeholders for information, much like structs and open structs actually are available in Ruby today. I used to think that classes would just be placeholders for that information and little to no methods would be included in those classes. So basically, 
Classes don't just hold information. There can be classes that do things, service classes, or, you know, most of the patterns that are in the books refer to objects that do stuff, not exactly classes that just hold information. Entity classes are one thing, and service classes, operational classes, are another. The important thing to understand in the way that Ruby handles this is that messages look exactly the same, whether you're trying to hold data or whether you're trying to run some code. Once you realize that, the concept of metaprogramming kind of dilutes itself as well because you're just thinking about messages. You don't really care about whether it, oh, this is metaprogramming. It's just programming at the end of it all. You're just trying to reach out to the code to do some other code or to dynamically access your code to do other code. That's basically what metaprogramming is. It's not this big monster. It's just an expansion of the language. In your course about metaprogramming on Tuts Plus, you used a cool and easy to understand example, um, a factory that builds a factory that builds a car. Can you maybe talk a little bit about it? The idea behind building a factory that builds factories is actually pretty funny because that is one of the best applications on how to understand metaprogramming and how metaprogramming is nothing more than just programming. So I recall in that example that we have one single factory that in and on itself develops several new factories, which in turn develop another set of objects. So basically, you're trying to develop your story. So consider that uh, I think it was a car building process. You're basically trying to build a story around how to build a car, the several parts. The same way as you go into a real factory and you implement or assemble the real parts together, the same goes with code. That was actually the main point of that story that I was trying to explain in the screencast. That exercise was really all about telling a story. When I want to build a car, I build each and every different part, and then I try to integrate them into one single car object. For example, having the engine assemble in one part, then the whole body, then the wheel, then the tires, the, the stuffing, the dashboard, all of the components of the car are developed each in their own factory. So when you have small factories that build each one of the components on their own, there's a lot less risk of having a default. And because of that, you can isolate the behavior or the source of error and try to locate that on the spot without compromising other factories. The fact that this is using metaprogramming or the fact that this is included in the course was just to explain that effectively, we're having a factory that resorts to other factories. <laughs>